0: Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. Glad you made it in safely. And uh, I know at one point I had a car sort of facing right in front of me, turned a corner, and I'm glad I wasn't where he turned, but we all made it, and we're glad. Glad you're here as well as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins, and I don't see any first time visitors, see some visitors, but uh, not first time, but it's good to see all of you here. In the back of your bulletin are the announcements. Uh, We will be having lunch together, and then following lunch, another worship service at 1.45. Wednesday, we meet on on Zoom at 7 o'clock. Love to have you join us there as we gather for prayer. And then you see the other announcements as well, but I would mention this, that the annual meeting will be on February the 19th after the afternoon service, so keep that in mind. And then one announcement that's not in your bulletin is that there's a new church directory that has been made. It's on the back table. Appreciate Martha's work in putting that together. So uh, the new church directories are ready for you to pick up. So keep that in mind. Well, we are here to worship God this morning. And I would ask the same question that's asked in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. Here's the question that's asked. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like our God? We go on to read, Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? This is the God. The reason we're here is because of this God that we've gathered to worship this morning. Will you just prepare your hearts to meet with him? unique thing about our gathering together is that God has said he would come and be in the midst of us. There is a special presence of God when God's people gather to worship him. In light of that, inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 15th Psalm. And again, it starts out with a question, and then we answer that question who, O Lord, may abide in your tabernacle? Who, who can meet with God? Who can be in his presence? That's the question that is asked. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Amen. Well, may now we take the hymns of grace. The hymns of grace, turning to number 35, O great God, number 35 in the hymns of grace.
1: God in heaven, we do come this morning to gather together to lift your name and to give you glory that you deserve, for you are the creator of us and all things. And we thank you for bringing us through the week that we've been through, for allowing all that we went through to come to us, for we know that all things come to us for our good and your glory. We ask that you would forgive our sins. And that you would help us to have listening ears today. May the word that we read and that is expounded upon be nourishment to our bodies and our souls. And give our pastor strength and wisdom as he delivers that to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
0: may be seated. Now take the Trinity Hymn Book and turn to number 27. 27 in the Trinity hymn book, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Number 27.
1: your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, last week when we read Luke 6, just a reminder, uh, it's Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, and now Jesus goes out from there. And begins to heal and preach the gospel to those individuals. Luke 7. And after Jesus had finished teaching all this to the people, he entered Capernaum, a centurion there, and had a slave who was highly regarded, who was sick and at the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they urged him earnestly, He is worthy to have you to do this for him, because he loves our nation and even built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not presume to come to you. Instead, say the word, and my servant must be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he does, and uh, to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, who was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the briar, and those who carried it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. So the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they began to glorify God, saying, a great prophet has appeared among us, and God has come to help his people." This report about Jesus circulated throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, John's disciples informed him about all these things. So John called two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases, sicknesses, and the evil spirits, and granted signs to many who were blind. He answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fancy clothes? Look, look, those who wear fancy clothes and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. All the people who heard this, even the tax collectors, acknowledged God's justice because they had been baptized with John's baptism. However, the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then should I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in a marketplace and calling out to one another, We played the flute for you, yet you did not dance. We wailed in mourning, and yet you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then when a woman of that town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you, he replied. Say it, teacher. A certain creditor has two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Thus she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. How
0: truly thankful we ought to be and how we ought to desire to grow in our love for a Savior who forgives great sinners for which one of us are not in that category of great sinners. But he, he forgives. As we go to prayer this morning, we want to especially remember the Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia, with Pastor Decker and Pastor Atkins. Also, this Sunday is designated as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I think there's a degree in which every Sunday should be sanctity of human life every day we should sanctify human life but this Sunday in particular is designated that way and so it's a reason for us all the more to cry out to God to forgive us of our sins and to pray for our nation so let us seek our God together in prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, as your word was read to us this morning, there are many of us whose hearts just rang out with gratitude and thanksgiving because you provided your Son and poured out your wrath upon him that we might be forgiven. How thankful we are for that one who, who became sin for us the one who knew no sin. And how thankful we are that by the shedding of his blood, we can know forgiveness of sin. And So, Father, we praise you. We thank you for such a wonderful gift that you have provided us in your son. But, but we know there are some who sit here this morning or some who may be listening Father, they don't know the blessed position of having sins forgiven. And we pray that you would awaken them to their need. We pray, Father, that you would do a work in their heart that only you can do, breaking the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. And bringing them, we pray, even today, to faith and repentance to the glory of our God. Father, we are thankful for the gospel. The very reality of what Christ did on our behalf as he died and was buried and rose again and even now lives to make intercession for us. And Father, we pray that that gospel would be proclaimed throughout Linaway County and the surrounding areas and even around the world. We thank you for those community of believers who are faithfully seeking to proclaim the gospel. We thank you for your work there in Roanoke, Virginia, and for the Trinity Baptist Church. And Father, we pray your blessing upon them. Meet with them as they gather even this morning to give you the worship that is your due. Be with Pastor Decker and Atkins as as they seek to shepherd the flock of God, oversee the people of God. Continue to bless the ministry of your word there in that place. And then, Father, we know through the recent letter that they've been given a a responsibility of seeing a church plant there in North Carolina. And how we give you thanks even for the report that, God willing, in, in February they will be constituted as a church. And so we pray your blessing upon that new work there in North Carolina, and we would ask, even as they have asked us to ask, that you would very soon provide them with pastor and and with elders who will care and oversee that flock as well. Father, we pray as well that you would have pity upon us as a nation. We pray, Father, that you would forgive our sins and we pray that we would continually recognize that it is you who gives life and it is only you who can take it away. And father how we pray that in in seasons to come more and more might realize the horrors of abortion and that father we would see less and less of such an event going on around us in our state and here in the nation father we would also pray for those who perhaps even now bear the scars of abortion and father we thank you that There is no sin that is greater than your grace. And we pray for those ladies who perhaps are are dealing with the repercussions of such decisions. May they run to your grace. May they find you to be a God of grace and mercy. Father, how we pray that, that we might reach out to them and show them your truth. And minister unto them even during these days. We we thank you for such places as the care pregnancy center here, even in our own city. And we pray, Father, you'll continue to bless that ministry and use it to bring an end. So, Father, now we pray that you would come and draw near to us. You are the reason we're here. By the work of your spirit and through your word, Father, manifest your presence among us and receive all the glory and the honor as we ask all these things in your blessed Son's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 445. 445 in the Trinity hymn book. Lord, who shall come to thee and stand before thy face. 445. Seated. Deuteronomy chapter 23 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 23. <clears throat> the psalmist ask. The same question that's been asked in Psalm 15. But in Psalm 24, the question that is asked is this. First of all, he he reminds his hearers of who God is and how great God is. And then he asks a question. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Who dare go into the presence of God? As we come to Deuteronomy chapter 23, it is, again, one of those chapters that probably I would rather you be standing up here instead of me and me sitting down there. Some of the things we read in Deuteronomy chapter 23 are are just awkward and perhaps difficult for us to wrap our heads around because of the culture and the time in which we now live. But nevertheless, it is the Word of God, and therefore is profitable for each one of us. As we come to Deuteronomy 23, in the, in the first 14 verses, Moses is finishing up his expansion of the Seventh Commandment. The Seventh Commandment is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And when it comes to this commandment, there are perhaps two relationships that this affects. The the first relationship is that of a marriage, a spouse. The the, the intimate, physical relationship between a husband and a wife. And at the end of chapter 22, we, we considered that together. The other relationship that touches thou shalt not commit adultery, is the relationship that we have with God. There's a covenantal relationship between God and His people. God has said, I will be their God, and they will be My people. And even in the relationship Of a husband and wife, so with the relationship of God to his people and his people to God, God takes very seriously faithfulness and purity. Faithfulness and purity. Keep that in mind even as we make our way through these first 14 verses of chapter 23. Remember this, that the God that we worship is a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, we have the testimony of Isaiah when when he saw in a vision the Lord sitting upon the throne, lofty and exalted, and with a train of his robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. God is the thrice holy God. In Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4, John gives us this account from a scene from heaven. Some seven angels singing the song of the Lamb. And the song went like this, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. Holy. He's a holy God. Now when we speak of God's holiness, we are addressing the, the perfect purity, the, the perfect moral excellence of God. The, the idea of holiness carries the, the thought of separation, being set apart, Part of God's holiness is His separation from all sin, from all evil, from all wrong. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, For it is fitting for us to have a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, Exalted in the heavens. The God that we've come to meet with this morning is an absolutely perfect, holy God without sin, so that he can't even look upon sin. Now such thoughts can terrify us. And such thoughts perhaps can make us like our first parents and want to hide from God. When we get a sense of His His true holiness, His majestic holiness, we we want to hide, as it were. And that's why the psalmist asks the question, O Lord, who may abide in Your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Who can come into the presence of God? And it's with that in mind that we come to Deuteronomy 23. And we read these, we could divide it up into two sections. There's the ex- exclusion from the assembly of the Lord. The exclusion from the assembly of the Lord, and then there's the purity in the military camp. Now, upon first reading of this, you might ask, what What does all this have to do with with God's holiness? And and what does all this have to do with Thou shalt not commit adultery? And I pray that that God might use our time together to bring us around to to see something of of why our lord set this before his people before they entered into the promised land and so this morning I, i'm not i'm not going to go into great detail concerning everything that is in this passage but but i do i trust want to lead us to recognize who is it that can really come into the presence of almighty god and so first of all notice with me in the first 8 verses the exclusion from the assembly of the lord follow as i read no one who emasculates who is emasculated or has his male organs cut off shall enter the assembly of the lord no one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No Amorite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord, because they did not meet with you because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Peor from Peror of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for You, because the Lord your God loves you, and you shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. And you shall not detest the Edomite, for he is your brother, and you shall not detest the Egyptian, because you were aliens in his land. The sons of the third generation who are born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord." Here we have, what I've simply said, the exclusion of the assembly of the Lord. I mean, as we read through this passage, what are the words that stand out over and over again? The assembly of the Lord. The assembly of the Lord appears some six times in these first eight verses. That says something to perhaps what we ought to focus upon as we consider this passage together. There are some four laws that are given to the people of God concerning the prohibition of certain ones from entering the assembly of the Lord. So here's the question. What's the assembly of the Lord? What is that? Well, most often, the praise, the assembly of the Lord, refers to a worship gathering. To a worship gathering. Now, it can refer to any gathering of God's people on any occasion, but most take this here in our passage, to refer to the worshiping community gathering in God's presence. So so as we think of the assembly of the Lord, we're thinking of the people of God gathering together in His presence. In His presence. The Hebrew word assembly is usually translated ecclesia in the Santuagent, that is the Greek Old Testament, the church. The church, the Ecclesia. It's the gathering of God's people in his presence. And so now we have some who are excluded from gathering with the assembly of the Lord. And here, note with me, first of all, the first ones who are excluded, and I I phrase it this way, it's the man devoted to foreign deity. It's a man who's devoted to foreign deity. No one who is emasculated or have his... Male organs cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Oftentimes, this activity was done as a mark to the devotion of other deities. It refers to a man who has abandoned his natural behavior of building his own family and instead he's giving himself wholly to the service of a king or a God's household. He's acknowledging that he is committed and devoted to that false deity. And he emasculates himself as a way of showing that commitment, that devotion. I do not believe that Moses is saying every eunuch can never come into the presence of God. You, you can read Isaiah 56 verses 3 and 5 and, and it indicates that a eunuch who, who would be obedient to God is welcome to take his name. We know the story in Acts about the eunuch who met up with Philip and, and became a believer from reading Isaiah's account of the Messiah. Some are eunuchs by birth. Some by accident. Some by abuse. This is not, I don't believe, a, a carte blanche. Any eunuch can never enter into God's presence. But, but he has in mind particularly those who would be committed and devoted to foreign dig- foreign deities. If you're coming into the presence of God, you must be devoted and committed to Him. Following after Him. Mr. Craigie, in his commentary, says this, this prohibition is probably not intended to bar from the community those whose state of emasculation had been brought on by accident or by illness. Self castration, the self castrated who carry on their bodies the signs of the recognition of another God, shall not enter into the congregation. In all likelihood, if a eunuch would would come to faith in Yahweh, turning away from that foreign god, he would be welcomed into the assembly to worship God. This was a prohibition targeted at those who were devoted to other temples and other gods those who would commit adultery being unfaithful to the true and living god to follow after other gods they're prohibited from the assembly of the lord secondly the children devoted to false gods the children devoted to false gods no one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord none of his descendants even to the tenth generation shall enter the assembly of the Lord no one of illegitimate birth the term that is used here is the term mazer And this term is only used twice in the Old Testament. Again, to quote Mr. Kriege in his commentary, and believe me, I needed a lot of help if we've gone through this passage, but he writes, "...its specific sense is uncertain. It may refer to children who are born as a result of incestuous relationships." It is possible, however, that something more specific is intended. The term "mazer" might refer to children born to cult prostitutes. If you look down to verses 18 and 19, he, Moses deals with that sort of thing. Mr. Craigie goes on to say, in this case, the children would have been conceived and born in an environment directly related to the cult of a foreign religion and therefore would be an abomination in the eyes of Israelites and God. As such, they could never enter the assembly of the Lord. These would be children devoted to foreign gods. Raymond Brown, in his commentary, says this, At birth, the child will have been dedicated to pagan gods, and it would be both disobedient and harmful to attempt to mix paganism with the worship of the only true God. So these these would be children who were dedicated to foreign gods. They would be children who would follow after foreign gods. Such would be excluded from entering the assembly of the Lord. And, and maybe you have a lot of... I have a lot of questions. And maybe you have a lot of questions. But, but here's the gist of it. If your commitment is not fully to God, Jehovah, Yahweh... You ought not to think that you can enter into the presence of the Lord. He demands full allegiance, full commitment, holy devotion to Him. Do not follow after other gods. He goes on then to talk about the... the, Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites are forbidden because of what they did not do. The Moabites are because of what they did. We read here, starting at verse 3. No, Ammonite nor Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Can I stop here long enough to say, you want you want to know how merciful God is? There's a woman who was a Moabite in the Bible. You know who she is? Ruth. Ruth. And it's her line through which the Son of God would come to earth. God is a merciful God. He goes on to say, because they did not meet you, this is the Ammonites, Amorites, because they did not meet you with food and water on your way, and when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor, Pethor from Mesopotamia to curse you, nevertheless the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. These people did not help The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they did not provide them with food. They stood opposed to the people of God. Even to the end that, remember, Balak hired Balaam, a prophet, to call curse down upon the children of Israel. Remember that? And God so moves and so works that Balaam, instead of cursing them, blesses them. And God says, you know why I did that? Because I love my people. I love you. And those who would stand against you dare not come into my presence. He goes on to speak about the Edomites. You shall not detest them. That's the line of Esau. And even Egypt. Even the Egyptians, you're not to detest them because you lived as aliens in their land. I mean, when they went into the land of Egypt, they were this fairly good-sized group, but in that land of Egypt, they became a nation, a huge nation. And God says, don't detest them. In fact, if an Egyptian comes within your border... And three generations later, they're still there and and they're worshiping the true and the living God. They are welcomed into the assembly of the Lord again God's mercy and god's kindness so So we have these directions given to us, but at the end of the day, while Some of the language may seem strange to us and and, and sometimes it's difficult for us to really comprehend everything that's being said here. At the end of the day, those who are not allowed in the presence of the Lord are, are those who are following after other gods and those who would oppose the people of God. Don't think you can come into God's presence don't think he'll meet with you. God takes you the serious. God takes seriously your faithfulness and your commitment to Him and to His people. That's what He's saying here. You can imagine the lesson for us. When when you came here this morning, who'd you want to meet with? I don't think many of you walked in this morning saying, I can't wait to see Pastor Walden. Now maybe you thought, it would be nice to see Pastor Walden. Who who did you come to meet with this morning? Did we not come to meet with God? God? Won't there be a holy disappointment if we leave here and we've had no sense that God has met with us? I mean, would you not be disappointed? I I could pick out the greatest hymns. I could pick out your favorite. And I know mostly I don't. I know, you know, if he'd only sing this hymn, I know that's how you think sometimes. I, I wish you would sing this hymn. Well, tell me and I'll sing it. But, but even if we sang your favorite hymn this morning. And even if I had a perfect outline and illustration set down in the right place, and and you listen to me, and you're comprehending something of what I'm saying, and, and now you can go home and say, well, you know that passage there in Deuteronomy 23, it's a weird passage, and And um, it's not one, you know, if, if, if I was a visiting pastor, I wouldn't be coming in here this morning saying, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 23 and let's talk about these things. No, I wouldn't do that. If we had all that and yet no sense of God's presence, what have we accomplished? What have we done? I mean, there's a degree in which if it was just me and God, I could leave here satisfied. Do you take meeting with God seriously? Or do you go throughout the week with your heart going in a hundred different directions, your heart pursuing a hundred different things and giving no thought to God and your commitment to Him and then come in here and worship and say, God, now meet with us. We need to take seriously meeting in the presence of God. Well, then we go on to Verses 9-13. through And here again, you read it. If you just read it, you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with anything? And some of the things that we read in here, you don't want to settle on. I'm not going to expound in great detail. But there's a lesson for us. Verses 9-13, to we have the purity in the military camp. Follow as I read. And when you go out as an army against your enemy you shall keep yourselves from every evil thing. If there is among you any man who is unclean because of nocturnal emission, then he must go outside the camp. He may not re enter the camp, but it shall be when the evening approaches, he shall bathe himself with water and the sunda- at sundown he may re-enter the camp. You shall also have a place outside the camp and go out there. And you shall have a spade among your tools, and it shall be when you sit down outside you dig with it and shall turn to cover up your excrement since the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy and He must not see anything indecent among you or He will turn away from you. Hmm. Well, see, Aren't you glad I'm up here and you're down there? Here we have a pair of laws. Regarding human extradition in the military camp of Israel. Again, we're we're dealing with somewhat awkward laws. But but I want you to consider with me, what's the purpose of these laws? Why did he give them these laws? Well, again, look at verse 9. You shall keep yourselves from every evil way. Perhaps a better translation is keep yourself from everything unclean. Verse 14, we read Since the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and defeat your enemy before you, therefore your camp must be holy. And he must not see any indecent, anything indecent among you or turn away from you. It, it's to keep you from every evil thing and it's to keep him from turning his back on you. That's, that's why you follow these laws. Now, now, why was that so important? I mean, this is a military camp. Now, I've never been in the military. Maybe some of you who've been in the military and perhaps have found yourself in, in the jungles of Vietnam or, or someplace else out in the wilderness. I, I would imagine that most military camps are somewhat raunch- raunchy and dirty, I don't know that, but I I, I can't imagine guys taking, you know, spick and span and put it in their belts so that when they're... No. But but why a military camp? Remember, God has given them direction that when they enter into Cana, there will be battles. There will be wars that they fight. This is a holy, truly a, a holy war that they will be engaged in. God is going to use them to bring judgment upon that land and by way of even military exercises. But what's unique about this, look over, look over to chapter 20 again. Remember chapter 20. They're given laws of warfare. And notice what we read, verse 1. And when you go out to battle against your enemies... And see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. Do not be afraid of them. I still love that passage. You're going to see horses more numerous than you. And here you guys are. You're not a military group. But do not be afraid. Why? For the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is what? He's with you. When you engage in these battles, and you're going up against mighty armies, know this, I will be with you. Look down to verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. To fight against your enemies to save you. I'm going to be there. My presence will be there as you engage in these battles. Look over to chapter 31, Deuteronomy 31. Moses is giving his his final word of advice. And we read starting in verse six Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is. For, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an adherence. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The transparency of God toward the children of Israel is this. You're going to fight some mighty men. You're going to just by sight be scared to no end. You're going to wonder how in the world are we ever going to defeat such a mighty enemy. And God says to them, because I'm going to miraculously provide you with the latest military equipment. I'm going to give you cannons. I'm going to give you machine guns. I'm going to give you spears. I'm going to give you horses. I'm going to No, that's not what He said, is it? He says, I'm going to be with you. I'll be there. And so when we come to Deuteronomy 23 and the military is told... Be pure. Why? For sanitary reasons? For health reasons? Well, certainly that's a good thing. But more importantly, God will be in your midst. You need to be a holy people. Separated from uncleanness. Because God is a holy God. And you want His presence with you as you fight. And so while, as I've said before, this may be an awkward passage, I think it's a very important passage when it comes to desiring to be in the presence of Almighty God. Do you want Him to meet with us Lord's Day after Lord's Day? Then we need to come in with hands that are clean. We need to come in uprightly. Who shall ascend to your holy hill? Who will be in your presence? Go back. I didn't have you go there one time, but Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Here's this great God who's created the world and everything in it. And then the question, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up His soul to falsehood, He's not run after other gods and has not sworn deceitfully, He holds to this truth. That's who does it. Well, let me ask you. You got clean hands? Are you upright? You know, it's a wonderful thing. God says, "You want to know who comes in my presence? Those who are upright." And and naturally speaking, we would all say I could never come into his presence, right? I can't go into his presence. I'm not an upright man. And what a great God. He says, "I'm going to provide a cleansing. I'm going to fire away and wish you couldn't be washed." It's in my Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Him. So that this morning as we gather together in this place, as people of God, who by faith has come to know His Son and be united to Him and received a righteousness not of our own, but the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is mine having been united to Him. God says, I'm going to come and meet with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to come and we're going to fello- we can have an intimate fellowship together. And he's provided that. You know, usually, if you go before some dignitary and you've got to meet certain qualifications, but, it, but it's qualifications that you've got to meet. I mean when I became a chaplain for the Michigan State Police, there were certain qualifications I had to meet. I had to have a high school diploma. I had to be in full-time ministry, I think it was five years. I, I, I had to be an ordained minister. I had to to live in the area where the post is found. Now, those are some, some of the qualifications. I, oh, No criminal record. And by the way, I am a chaplain of the Michigan State Police. So no criminal record, at least that they could find, all right? But I had to meet those qualifications. However, if they told me that I had to be six foot two, it's not going to happen. All right. Unless I get those elevated shoes, I'm not six foot two. If they told me I, I, I had to have blue eyes, it's not going to happen. Because these eyes aren't blue. God says, you want to come into my presence? You've got to be upright. And standing here as a man, I say the same thing. It's not going to... I can't do that. I'm not upright. But then God says, here. Here. Here's my son. He has perfect uprightness. Put him on. And now you can come into my presence. If nothing else, dear people. And again, you may have all kinds of questions. At the, at the door you may say, Pastor, what does it mean? And I may say... I. But at least this much I can say. If We want God's presence to be among us. We need to be a people who are devoted to Him. Committed to Him. Be a holy people. And then He says, I will be with you. And you know the passage there in Matthew 18? What does it say? where two or three are gathered in my name. And that's not just, you know, we're out for a, 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 an RB sandwich together. He's talking about the church. It's in the context of the church, Matthew 18. Within the context of the community of believers, if, if there's two or three of you in my name, I'll be there in the midst. I'll be there. But dear people, we ought not to think He'll meet with us if we come in with dirty hands. If Even if you profess to be a believer, but you know there's sin that's unconfessed in your life, how does He meet with us? We we need to constantly confess and forsake our sins that we might know of His presence. Well, I've tried with what light God has given me to open up the passage, and I pray at least challenge us with regard to the principles that we need to apply to our lives in our day to the glory of God because we worship a holy God. All right, let us pray. Father, we, we again thank You for Your Word and the direction that it gives us. You, you are a holy God. And we thank You that You have provided a way through Your Son, Jesus Christ, that, that You can come and meet with us. Because of a righteousness that is not our own. And Father, for some who may sit among us who, who still are living in their sin, they're, they're still under the wrath of God, O oh, Father, may today You open their eyes and, and bring them unto Yourself. You stand ready to save all who call upon You. All who call upon You, You will in no wise cast out. And so today may You have dealings with them and bring them unto Yourself. And then, Father, for those of us who profess to know You, we pray that we might recognize the seriousness of walking in holiness, to be a people who seek to be cleansed and delivered from all sin. Father, may that be our desire so that we might know more of wonderful fellowship with our great God. So Father, take Your Word and use it in that way which brings most glory and honor to Your great name. As we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your Trinity hymn books and let us sing of the thrice-holy God, number 87, Trinity hymn book, Holy, Holy, Holy... Lord God Almighty. Number 87. Let's stand together. It's our prayer to meet with God each time that we gather together. We're welcome to stay for lunch. We'll have lunch together, and about 1:45, we'll be